There we go. Now, can you still hear me? Uh, that's great. Oh, now we've got a high pitch thing. <laughs> well, I'm sure they'll figure that out. And uh, in the meantime, it's just a great opportunity for me to offer you some, some thoughts from the Word of God. And also, as we look at this hymn that we've been singing and that we saw in the video earlier, I was assigned this task and I was delighted to, uh, to do that. It was interesting when I saw the text that had been given from the book of Exodus. I thought, hmm, that's inter- an interesting connection. And uh, so I've enjoyed looking into that and trying to understand the connection between this uh, period in the history of the people of Israel with the thoughts that are offered in this hymn that we love to sing at this time of year. So uh, we're going to read the text. I'm going to pray again just briefly, and and then we're just going to spend some time together talking about uh, what we see and what we might want to think about regarding these things. So uh, Exodus chapter 2, verse 23. Exodus chapter 2. Now, th- now this kind of culminates a whole narrative, a whole story that's been going on, and I'll try to catch you up on that in a few moments. But uh, we'll just pick it up at the end of the second chapter, verse 23. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out. And their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning. And he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. So Lord, we we had asked that you would take this text and you would help us to see truth in it, truth that would be helpful for us today. Lord, we long for your coming. We know that you have come already, but uh, we long for your coming again in fullness. In the meantime, Lord, we, we do experience a similar kind of groaning to what we have uh, just read about here in this text. So help us with that this morning, we pray. Make your presence known to us. We pray that you would speak to us. Not so much that these would be my words, but that these would be your words. And that we'd be able to hear them and that we'd be willing to respond to what it is that you have to say to us. May it be, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This is a, a great hymn that, that we sing every, every year this time. It's uh, number 123 in the hymnal if you're interested in looking at it. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. It's a kind of a, an unusual favorite in the uh, Christmas carol canon. There isn't a, a very overt uh, reference to Jesus or even to the incarnation. It's sort of a veiled reference here, which suggests that the, 
the carol belongs probably more to the season of Advent, this, this earlier part of the season, uh, as opposed to Christmas itself, which we'll be celebrating later in the month. It's got a, a melancholy tone to it as it's offered in the minor key instead of the major key, which is what we typically hear with songs of rejoicing at, at Christmas time. I think perhaps that, that minor key is appropriate given the context, given the content of the carol. In fact, let me, let me demonstrate here for you. Rudy said I could use his guitar here just for a moment. I mean, this, you, most of you understand this, but um, this minor key, listen for it. It's a little different than the major key. You hear the difference? The major key is kind of brighter in the minor key. It's a little sadder, isn't it? Melancholy. There's a kind of longing to it, which is appropriate given the message of the, the hymn. people of Israel knew something about groaning. Caught up in captivity to Egypt, later in their history to Babylon, perhaps even today caught up in the politics of land and state. Moses himself knew something about groaning as he dealt with his, this uh, challenge of his personal identity, living stateless over in Midian, but struggling with the, the fact that he had these, these three identities, the, the nationality of his birth, that of his upbringing in Egypt, and now here, this existence with his family here in Midian. I think he knew something about groaning. You probably know the story, and many of you will at least, but how the people of Israel were, uh, in, in response to the great famine that happened during the time of, of Joseph and his brothers, went to Egypt in order to, to be fed, in order to survive. And over time there in this, this foreign land, this hostile land, it began to become very, very difficult for them as the nation under the leadership of the pharaohs kind of uh, took hold of them and forced them into a backbreaking kind of slavery. I was thinking that, uh, that probably some of us today struggle with these sorts of things, worry about these kinds of things when we, when we have these different national identities. We, we born in one place, maybe living in another place wondering about our, our, our standing in the place that we have come. I know in parts of North America to, to live as an immigrant can be a very frightening and challenging thing these days. And as I read the, the, the story from the early parts of the, the book of Exodus, chapter 1 and chapter 2, I was imagining what uh, it must have been like to, to come uh, as, as refugees in many ways, seeking food and shelter in a time of drought and then uh, to be taken captive as slaves. You can hear as you, 
as you follow the news these days south of the border and, and we trust not here in our country, but you, you wonder at times about the security of those who've come to immigrate even to North America in these days. These people in Israel were forced into backbreaking work to support the, the people of Egypt, making bricks out of straw and, in order to build the cities and that would uh, house the people of Egypt. But God blessed in keeping with his covenant. And the, the people grew and the families multiplied and such, so much so that the pharaoh, the king of Egypt, began to be concerned about the growing, burgeoning numbers of the people of Israel. So a decree was offered that the firstborn sons of all those in Egypt would be put to death. It was a terrible thing. Moses' mother, when upon the birth of this child, was concerned about these things, and so put Moses in a basket and and put him out into the, to the sea, watching closely to see what would happen. Moses is discovered by a princess. It's, a, it's almost a fairy tale kind of story. The daughter of Pharaoh, the, the daughter of the king of Egypt, who observes this baby and takes him in and, and, and cares for him as, as if it was her own. Even in this, God is working his plan. He's preserving his people. He's watching for their future paying attention, noticing what's going on. Moses grows up a child of privilege, and yet not really of the people of Egypt, not really of the people of Israel, struggling with this dual identity. He continues on in life, and one day he comes across a, a fight that's going on, this, the, the, this uh, uh, Slaves, these Israeli people, the people of his, his birth, these Hebrew brothers in a sense, who he didn't know and didn't understand, were being abused by uh, an Egyptian taskmaster. And something in Moses in that moment rises up, something, something related to his birth, his, his sense of identity, and he rises up and he attacks this Egyptian taskmaster. It kills him even in a brutal fight, takes the body and buries it in a sand dune and hopes that all would be well. But all wasn't well. The next day he hears talk about this. People are accusing him. The word rises up to, to Pharaoh himself. And Moses realizes he's in danger and so he runs. We find him here in Midian, some distance away, exiled from his homeland. He meets a woman there. He starts a family. He's living there for many, many years until the word comes along that Pharaoh, the one who had called for his death, has now himself died, which suggests an opportunity An opportunity to, but, but what to make of it? And what to do about it? Certainly this change in circumstance had not abated the 
the challenge of the, the, the Hebrew people. Their slavery was just as painful, just as awful as it ever was, which is suggested by their ongoing groaning. And the groaning was heard in Midian. Their groaning was heard in heaven. God notices our groaning. We got a lot to groan about, it seems, in this world. But God notices. He hears. Doesn't always feel like it. Because there's a lot going on. There's things happening behind the scenes, things that we're not necessarily privy to, things we don't fully understand, but we can rest assured that God notices when we are groaning. A couple of things here worth talking about. First is what it means to groan. And secondly, what it means that God would notice that we're groaning. What does it mean? What it means to, to groan? It's a, it's a deep kind of visceral word. It, it's a physical kind of word, to groan. It, it, it's... It's not, we're not just talking about those polite little chuckles we make when somebody tells a bad joke, you know, or a groaner. No, we're, we're talking about something deep. Something that we feel in our gut. Something that, that rises up from inside of us whenever we recognize that something is not right in the world. I know that, that sometimes we think that, that groaning is wrong. That it's, it's like a kind of whining. That we should just grow up and forget about it and move on and stiff upper lip and just take care of our business and not worry about it. But I want to suggest to you that sometimes groaning is the absolute right thing to do. Sometimes groaning can be holy. We read earlier from Romans chapter 8, verse 22, that the whole creation is groaning. As in the pains of childbirth. And this is a good thing. Because God created the world with a sense of purpose. This world was, was created because God had something in mind that he intended to achieve. And he is not done yet. We have not seen the last of these things. This is not over yet. And if we don't know it, the creation does. The world is groaning. Because it was created for something better. 
Something we don't yet see in fullness. And the world has not yet capitulated. It's not given in. It has not given up, and nor should we. There's more to come. This image of the, the pains of childbirth. About half the crowd here will know a whole lot more about that than me. But I was there. <laughs> Three times. <laughs> yeah. And I was groaning too. <laughs> you know. And it's a weird kind of thing, right? Because it hurts. It really does. And, and, and even for, for a husband watching, it, there's, there's pain involved. And yet you know that something is being birthed. Something better is coming. Something, someone that, that you're going to love forever. The pains of childbirth, the whole creation groans in that spirit, knowing that God is birthing something out of this pain, out of this horror, something New is coming. In Exodus 2, in our text, this sense of groaning is repeated over and over. The Israelites groaned because of their, in their slavery. They cried out. Their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. And they should be groaning because slavery is not right. It's not what we were created for. We were created for freedom, and one day we will be completely free, absolutely free in every possible way as we receive the thing that God has promised for us. But right now, to varying degrees and in various ways, we are all Captive. Captive to a world that is struggling with sin. Captive to the princes, the, the, the principalities and powers who temporarily have some level of control over us. But we understand that there is more coming that the God who began a good work will see it through to completion. But for now, sometimes we groan, and we should. Groaning is not just whining. It's not just complaining. Sometimes groaning can be the result of exertion, <laughs> of a deep commitment Sometimes groaning comes from honest disappointment, true frustration when we experience something less than the promise. When somebody we love offers us less than what we deserve. When the world serves up something other 
than what was intended. We groan. And we should. By our groaning, we suggest that we are, we haven't yet given up. We haven't yet capitulated. That we understand that it's not over. The second thing is trying to understand what it means that God notices our groaning. And here there's a few interesting words. Verse 25 said that God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. Concerned. I had to look that up. I wanted to see what it meant because when I often use that word concern, you know, when I think about my concern for my children or my grandchildren, for example, often my concern for those I love, I, I, it's, it, there's, there's a sense of worry about it. You know what I mean? Because I can't control everything that goes on with my children or with my situation. I, I'm not in full control. And so when I'm concerned as a father, as a grandfather, as I'm concerned, there's a little bit of uncertainty around that, a little bit of fear around that, a little bit of worry. But that's not the kind of concern that is described here. The Hebrew word yada means that God has taken notice that he has looked, he has heard, he has seen, he has noticed. But there's more. Earlier, the Israelites groaned, verse 23, in their slavery, cried out. Their cry for help because of their slavery comes up to God. That's kind of a neat image. The, the, the groaning, this, this hum of concern that rises up from the people and reaches heaven such that God hears. God hears their groaning and he remembers. Remembers. The Hebrew word zakar. He remembers. He hasn't just noticed but he remembers. What does he remember? He remembers his promise. The covenant that he made with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. That goes back to Genesis 12, Genesis 15, other texts where God makes promises to his people through Abraham to begin with, that, that he would raise up a great nation and the numbers of the people would outnumber the grains of sand on the shore. We should go walk down the hill and count sand. <laughs> we got a pretty rocky shore over here, but there's still an awful lot of sand. The people of God would outnumber. In other words, it would become a great nation and they would rise up and, and be empowered and God would do amazing things that would last forever. And he's not forgotten because for him to forget would be for him to lose touch with his very nature, with his character, with who he is. He can't forget because he's God. 
can't lose the plot. He can't not hear. He can't not do what he's promised because he's God. Eternal, all-powerful, all-loving, all-purposeful. He will do the thing that he has promised, rest assured. He notices our groaning. And and folks, sometimes that's all it takes, right? For us to keep going. Just the the knowledge that somebody empowered notices. Just the knowledge that somebody who loves us has seen, has heard, has noticed, has remembered us. Sometimes that's all it takes for us to take another step, you know, for us to offer up another groan, but not let it derail us to keep moving, to go another day, to say another prayer, sing another hymn, another carol, and know that he is God. Of course, it's going to take a while. That's the thing, right? It's about being patient and trusting. It's going to take a while. I mean, we struggle with this whole time thing. I was thinking about this this morning. You know, like, like it's been 2,000 years now since Christ. Almost. Since, well, it's certainly since Christ, but almost since his, uh, his death and resurrection. 2,000 years. Maybe we'll have a big celebration around uh, 2033. And, <laughs> you know, we seem to like these round numbers. <laughs> you know. It's been 2,000 years. That's a long time, right? Except it isn't really. No, not in the big picture. Even in, in the Bible itself, you know, we read these Old Testament stories. You know, some of them, like, like going back to the book of Genesis, thousands of years before Christ. So like even in the span of biblical history, 2,000 years is not that much. I mean, yeah, it's like 25, 30 times our lifetimes. Which means we're going to have to be patient. We're going to have to wait. We're going to have to groan. Jesus, Emmanuel, he was always the end game. But it was going to take a little while. Even Jesus had to groan. I was thinking about that this morning as well. Just how many times in Scripture Jesus groaned? Lots of times. <laughs> Groaning at the, the people who didn't get him. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Even with his, his, his mother and his, and his stepfather. Groaning as he looked down upon the city of Jerusalem, realizing that they didn't understand. Groaning that evening in the garden he said Lord you know, take, take this from me if you can, if you can take this cup from me I, I, like I'd rather not do this if, if it wasn't necessary <laughs> except that it was necessary yes. it had to happen mm-hmm. Jesus had to groan my God 
My God, why have you forsaken me? It had to happen that we might be forgiven, that we might have hope, that our groaning might not be all for naught. We needed this. We need to groan. So come, Lord Jesus. Come and cheer our spirits by thine advent here, their, thine coming here. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadows put to flight. Notice us, Lord, in this moment. Notice us in our groaning. Hear our cry. And fulfill your purpose among us. I, th I think sometimes that it might be the worst possible thing for us to be relieved of our groaning. Like, think about it. If we had no reason to groan, it would be as if, you know, we'd been taken out of the game. We, we were no longer relevant. We, we play a lot of board games at Christmas time in our family. <laughs> you know, seems to be something we, we do. And, uh, you know, maybe you're playing Monopoly or something and, like, you're losing. <laughs> and, and it doesn't feel great. And you wonder why you're doing this. And then you're totally out and you're just out of the game. And, and you don't feel so bad anymore except that you're not in the game. Right? You're no longer relevant. You got to go do something else. You know, as long as we're groaning, we're, we're, we're still here, right? Like, we haven't capitulated. We're, we're, we're still in the game. We're still, God is at work in us. We haven't given up. We still see a future. We're still pursuing, hopefully. God's doing his thing. We're still here. And yes, we groan. But, but this isn't, you know, a weak a wimpy, you know, whimper of, of someone who has no hope. This is not some dark, desperate, you know, cry of, of, of one who has no sense of future. No. This is groaning with a purpose. This is a holy kind of groan. I mean, I, I'd use an analogy. This is, this is like, like Serena Williams grunting with every master stroke, you know, every groan, a dagger in the will of her opponent. Right? Not sure what you're groaning about specifically here today. We've heard some things as we were praying together. Physical things. Some of us, you know what? Right now, our bodies just don't work right. They just don't give us what they were created to offer. The Bible tells us that one day we're getting new bodies. <laughs> I mean, recreated bodies. The same body, but right. 
know, and perfect and refreshed and new. Glenn, you say amen a lot. You got to say amen to that. <laughs> you know, you've struggled with your body. Oh. Relational stuff. You've got a child that's disappointed you. A spouse that's hurt you. A an employer that doesn't respect you, a, a friend who's failed you. You ought to groan about that and make that groan a prayer. A prayer that God would restore and heal and fulfill according to his nature and his promise in his time. Amen. Amen. We're still groaning. But it's a holy groaning. A prayerful groaning. Just make sure that whatever it is, that uh, maybe it's a circumstance external to you. Don't let it cripple you internally. Maybe it's, maybe it's a physical failing. Don't let that become a failing of your will. Keep growing. Stay faithful. And as we do, God serves notice. That he is not done with this world that his purposes will be fulfilled. That the future is secure. Oh, come, desire of nations. Bind all peoples in one heart and mind. Bid envy, strife, and quarrels cease. Fill all the world with heaven's peace. Amen. Rejoice. Rejoice. Emmanuel, God with us will come. He's come once already. He's coming again. <laughs> and we will find joy in that. Lord, make it soon. <laughs> Please. We need you, Lord. We struggle with these things. We're, we're frustrated with this world, Lord. The, I think of the video we watched earlier. Lord, the pain of slavery that continues in our day. Lord, this is wrong. This is wrong, Lord. May you end that day. May you bring freedom to the captives, Lord, in our time. Lord, bless those who are serving in those, in, in, to, to see that happen directly. Lord, encourage those who are in that form of captivity. Lord, help them. Keep them going. Lord, don't let them quit. Don't let them capitulate. Help them stay faithful in their groaning and in their trust. That, and, and may you come to them by your spirit and through your people to bring freedom, freedom of the body, freedom of the soul. Lord, for those struggling with the, the, the pain of, 
of sexual sin, sexual harassment. We're reading so much about this in, in the news these days, and it's wrong. It's so frustrating, Lord, so disappointing that our women, our wives, our daughters, our friends, Lord, <clears throat> have to walk in this world with this kind of fear in their heart. They have to deal with this shameful behavior. Lord, may it stop. Lord, perhaps in this moment in our culture, Lord, that you could do something to, to help us overcome and, and find a better future. Lord, for the failings of our bodies, the failings of our of, of, of the people we love and the people, the fa our own failings in how we go about loving others, Lord, all these things, we're disappointed, we're frustrated, we want to do better, we're trying to do better, Lord. And all of it, all of it by the power of your grace. And Lord, we, we believe that you can help us do better, that there are improvements that we've noticed. There are prayers that you're answering as we've seen even this morning. Keep it up, Lord, please. We need you. And Lord, bring us to that day sooner rather than later when we will see all of this in fullness, when you will have in fact come again in fullness, that we might be in your presence, recreated and fully free when all will be as you intended it, as, according to your purpose, according to your character. We trust you for this, Lord. We trust you for this. We have faith for this. And we look forward to it. In Jesus' name, amen.